Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. This week, we take a look at our extremely distant prehistoric ancestors in Quest for Fire, a 1981 movie based on a Belgian novel from 1911. In the opening text, we learn that this story is set about 80,000 years ago, or 80,036, I guess now. We're told that early humans had no knowledge of how to create fire, and they had to find it in nature or steal it from other tribes and guard it from the elements. After that, the movie could have just as easily been a silent film. Not, Not only did they not try to put English in the mouths of our characters, thankfully... But there were no subtitles translating the grunts and primitive languages uh, the various tribes use. Now, don't let that dissuade you from watching, however. It is still very compelling and easy to follow. Worth noting before getting into the plot is that this is a time period with multiple human-related species living on Earth. I had to refer to Wikipedia to see just how each was classified. Our protagonist tribe is a primitive form of Homo sapiens, With the more prominent brow and protruded upper lip, we tend to associate with cavemen. It's worth noting that there are two classified subspecies of Homo sapiens. We are actually Homo sapiens sapiens. The other, Homo sapiens adultu, is now extinct. They were in Africa around 160,000 years ago, which doesn't fit our timeline for Quest for Fire or location, which Wikipedia says is Europe. Africa is the widely accepted origin of humans with... Migration occurring first to Europe and Southern Asia, then throughout the rest of Asia and into the Americas. It's more likely that our protagonists are meant to represent the Cro-Magnons, which were Homo sapiens, sapiens like us, just with larger brains, actually, uh, at least the space for a larger brain. So their appearance in the movie is likely exaggerated because the prominent brow and, 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 and mouth wouldn't, wouldn't really have been associated with that species. I thought it was funny when my research led me to the Wikipedia page for human. I know there's a Wikipedia page on basically everything, but it was fascinating because it's written without acknowledging that the author of the article is, I'm guessing, human. Not that it's denying it or trying to be cute or anything. It's just a very matter-of-fact article treating humans as the members of the animal kingdom that we are. Uh, Allow me to quote from the first paragraph. They are characterized by erect posture and bipedal locomotion high manual dexterity and heavy tool use compared to other animals, and a general trend toward larger, more complex brains and societies. At the opening of the movie, we see our tribe sleeping in a cave, huddled on top of each other to stay warm near a fire. A lone sentry sits by another fire at the mouth of the cave, keeping the wolves away. Everyone wears loose animal skins over their otherwise naked bodies. It's easy for us to forget just what a big deal fire is and we as we've replaced it by you know a million other ways but a fire to keep warm at night allows you to live in areas where you would otherwise freeze to death a fire can be used to scare away predators that would otherwise attack and that same fire can be used to cook food and that last one could very well be the most important in his 2009 book catching fire how cooking made us human Richard Wrangham argues cooking our food is what allows, allowed us to evolve from ape to human in a relatively short amount of time, you know, evolutionarily speaking, as cooked food allows 
far more of the calories to be absorbed by the body. And more calories means a lot less time finding food, which means more time to make shelter, clothes, and weapons, and more calories for developing more sophisticated brains. So while it's often discussed that agriculture made civilization possible, control of fire may very well have made humans possible. If you're worried about spoilers for a 36-year-old movie about cavemen, you might check back later. Otherwise, I'm going to get right into it. So the plot sets in motion when our tribe is attacked by a less evolved tribe, completely covered in hair with no clothes. Think smaller gorillas, or people in gorilla costumes, frankly. Again, Wikipedia claims these to be Homo erectus. And I suppose before we get too bogged down in all this classification, I should note that there are 10 subspecies of Homo erectus alone, not to mention Homo ergaster, Homo habilis, or the other dozen species under the genus Homo. Let's just give the film a pass here and say that there was a time when Homo sapiens lived with other related species who were far more advanced than modern apes, some of whom used tools, fire, and created art but all of whom are now extinct. Some were distant cousins with common ancestors, and like most things, there is some overlap with interbreeding between different species. My dad proudly proudly notes the Neanderthal DNA that 23andMe revealed he carries. And quick note there, you notice how it always used to be Neanderthal, and now you hear Neanderthal? I, I didn't really look up what it's supposed to be or why there's a difference there. Anyway... In the attack and subsequent escape, the small fire our tribe keeps in a little leather and bone lantern is extinguished. A trio of men is sent on a quest to find fire to bring back to the tribe, as their survival likely depends on it. Along the way, a more modern-looking human female starts tagging along after the trio frees her from a band of Neanderthal cannibals. And she mates up with one of our uh, three fire seekers, literally in front of the other two there's a fine line in this movie between human and animals or no line at all Uh, she finally bails to return to her tribe but our boy misses her and follows and he's mocked by her tribe but ultimately accepted kind of he's kind of half prisoner half hanging out with them and they show him how to make fire it's actually an incredibly powerful moment in the movie you can see in his eyes as he just, you know, he just sees them start, you know, they, they do the whole, the, the rolling the vertical stick, rolling their hands down it, back and forth, and the little, and the little kindling at the bottom. And his, his eyes are just wide and in awe, and he's, he's on the verge of tears. It just never even occurred to him that this kind of thing might be possible. And later his two buddies show up and rescue him and his girlfriend. Again, not that they were exactly captive, and they return to their original tribe with fire that is immediately accidentally extinguished during the celebration. But our main character has seen fire made by man and tries to prove it to the tribe, who's pretty skeptical, and, but he, and he likes the skills to pull it off. But enter his new female companion, who succeeds to the awe of the tribe. And in a beautiful callback to the beginning of the movie, we end with the exact same aerial view from above of a cave with a fire in front. Only this time, man can create it himself. 
Quest for Fire does have an 83% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. You can rent it on Amazon and YouTube. It won the Oscar for Best Makeup and earned a Golden Globe nomination for Best Foreign Film. I guess it's a Canadian and French film. Oh, and one of our three fire seekers was Ron Perlman. Yes, Hellboy himself was on the quest for fire. It's also worth noting that Anthony Burgess, the author of A Clockwork Orange with all its invented Russian-expired slang, helped create the primitive languages they use in the film. Definitely an engaging movie, and I do recommend it. There doesn't seem to be a lot of other good movies dealing with prehistoric humans. 10,000 BC and Clan of the Cave Bear have laughably low scores on Rotten Tomatoes. One Million Years BC has almost acceptable reviews and could be worthwhile to see Raquel Welch in the costume that graced Andy Dufresne's cell wall in The Shawshank Redemption. Though I can say with some certainty that no one looking like Raquel Welch was walking around one million years ago. A few other elements of the film I want to address. Along the way, our heroes encounter a couple saber-toothed cats and woolly mammoths. The filmmakers did a great job with the cats. It looks like they put some stripes and prosthetics, uh, prosthetic fangs on actual lions and shaved the mane of the male lion. They looked way better than CGI, in my opinion. The mammoths were similarly costumed elephants, but they didn't work near as well and looked kind of silly. I was going to say saber-toothed tigers, as that's what I've always heard growing up. But saber-toothed tigers were only in the Americas. However, other saber-toothed cats lived all over the world at the time, and the timeline does work out with these types of cats having another 70,000 years on Earth in like the timeline of the movie before dying out. Likewise, mammoths of different varieties were all over the world and uh, used by humans for their hides and bones and meat. Uh, mammoths were often depicted in Ice Age era artwork. I also mentioned our trio encountered Neanderthal cannibals. This is very likely possible as well. Cannibalism was uh, not only sometimes necessary when no other food was present, but may have actually been uh, been ritualized to dispose of the dead uh, to prevent predators from hovering around to get at the bodies. So as we prepare to jump thousands of years ahead to early civilizations, I'd... I'd have to say that the biggest game changer, now that we've mastered fire, was agriculture. Ten to 15,000 years ago, humans began cultivating crops and domesticating animals. Surpluses in food meant more and more of the population could spend time doing something other than help the tribe acquire food. You could have tailors and blacksmiths and bakers, etc. Writing emerged as a way to keep records, and history was born. You've probably heard the phrase cradle of civilization. And while it's not like all of human civilization sprung forth from one single initial community, it does appear that it happened first in the Fertile Crescent, a half-moon-shaped region extending from Mesopotamia in the east to the Nile River Valley in the west. And that's where we're headed next week, to ancient Egypt, where we'll have a lot to unpack with the story of Moses in 1998's The Prince of Egypt. <laughs> 